Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Mayor's Way. It's good to be back here. Well, I've never been here, but you know what I mean. I like the new digs. Uh, we're just going to start off tonight singing a song that you may know. If you know, just sing along. If not, enjoy. But just to kind of get us in the, in the zone, we're going to do a little meditative song.
breathe on me oh breath of god fill me with life anew thanks so much jeff and skylar and casey um yeah we're gonna have the kids lead us in our community song now. And Rhodey is not here tonight. So we're gonna communally try to sing Be Thou My Vision without having someone start the pitch. Maybe Ben would start the pitch. everyone and kids have fun learning about another vow in the minister's liturgy i saw beads in your supplies tonight so should be fun so great to see those of you here um i know some of the men had a good old camping trip with whiskey around the fire to um, grandfather mountain so props to those of you i didn't know ben and i got into and Jeff, we were like talking. So did the partners, when their spouses came home, were they like, okay, you have the kids now? And they went off and slept or are drinking a glass of wine? Or would they bring the kids here so you could have some, yeah. So that they would have great spiritual formation. Um, I think it was more of the former. Um, but anyway, so good to see those of you that are here with us. If you're new to Emmaus Way, um, we are a community captivated by the gospel, trying to live into that captivation. If you would like to know more about us, there are yellow cards and green cards on our welcome table that you can fill out. Do we have any announcements for? Yes. So not next Sunday, but on October 8th, it, we will have Ecclesia, which is like our quarterly church business meeting. Um, and in this new space, we are going to try, we are not going to, well, we're going to do it. We're kind of incorporating Ecclesia into our worship gathering. It used to be we would have a condensed worship and then Ecclesia after, and this time Ecclesia will be kind of woven into our worship gathering along with a potluck. So be on the lookout for emails from lead team about bringing a dish for the potluck on October 8th, but it'll be a great Sunday. And on that Sunday also, we have been talking about our minister's liturgy, our right of belonging, and we are wrapping that up next week, talking about the vows specifically. And so on the 8th, if you are interested or know someone in our community interested that want to partake in the minister's liturgy, we will do that then also. Are there any other announcements? Okay. Well, Skylar, Casey, and Jeff, so great to have you back with us. And Casey and Skylar are both about to leave on tour soon. Casey to the Midwest, Skylar to Europe. Are you headed on tour anytime soon? No, but you're working on a cool project with the Goins, Daniel, yeah, whom we love, Lowell and Tom. So, so glad to have you all with us 
again. Take it away. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> I don't know, I'm really bad at talking about songs, but I will do my best. Um, this first song is a Nicholas song, and it really does remind me of a lot of what I hear people say about religion, and then the song that I wrote a couple of months ago, the next one, has a lot to do with religion too, and how people react to the world as it is today. Um, and then the third song's called To Action, so they're all kind of coalescing around uh, being a part of a conversation um, in my case, and my song I felt like I hadn't been a part of, and I guess this uh, first one's a little appetizer. I'm a failed Christian, I don't go to church. I smoke and I drink and I lie and I curse Never got to me Your sermon and all You talked and you talked about nothing at all I'm a failed Christian Failed Christian
I'm a failed Christian I don't go to church I smoke and I drink and I lie and I curse Tell me what to do I've done everything I'm supposed to Well, that's not true I've been playing along Turned down the sound when I couldn't deal with what I heard When the truth was hard to chew It's so easy just forget all the decay when you have so much to attend to How can I shake it? All the times I could have stood for what made sense At least took a stand or two But I just turned my head Said I couldn't affect that way say what was false and what was true it's so easy to do just to add to the delay when actions call out to you
Skyler for, I think, in a lot of ways, taking us through the pattern of this recent series we've been on, which we've centered around, in a, in a sort of bigger sense, fear, and what fear does to us as people who have a better vision for the world, but sometimes struggle to live into the vision that we have. Um, and I think, yeah, in these three songs tonight, and as we're getting, we're doing that also through our minister's liturgy, and you'll see on the back page, the two vows we're working with tonight, one of which is centered very much around as a Christian community, as a community that is, has a Christian identity, is committed to certain practices that bind us together in that. We're also a Christian community who thinks that that invites us out into something, that there, there's something grander than what we do together ourselves that us doing together ourselves prepares us or draws us into. Yeah, and I think in these three songs tonight, we have how damaging false practice is, what it feels like to be a failed Christian when you have a practice that's being forced on you that makes no sense to you and that doesn't flesh with the vision of the world that you have. What does it feel like when practice is missing, when you have a really clear sense of what's out there and there's no one inviting you or joining you in a practice that's, that's, that's faithful to that and, and this, the necessity of practice. How many things are there for us to rise up 
two together. And really in this last sort of four or five weeks, we've really been saying again to each other as people are committed to this minister's liturgy as a, as a thing that describes what we're up to together, where, where are we afraid and where do we need to rise up? So yeah, that's, that's what we're getting into tonight. And I thought they just did a great job of, of leading us through that. Um, but yeah, this is a time where we always uh, pass the peace. You can maybe get to every single person in the room tonight if you want, if you want to give that a shot. There's coffee and snacks back there. But yeah, uh, say pass the peace of Christ to each other. Greet someone you don't know. And we'll gather back up for the dialogue in just a few minutes. Everybody wants to come back. There will be more time for conversation later. We might even have, I won't call them small groups, but if the spirit leads, we might have conversation partners later on for part of this dialogue. I know some people leave when you call it a small group. Um, but... Tonight, um, we're continuing our series around rooted in our minister's liturgy. And as we're looking at our minister's liturgy, really asking ourselves, how would we, how could we live into these vows um, if we were able to adequately address our fears, um, if we weren't to let fear hold us captive? Um, and this week, we are actually talking about two of our vows. Um, they're really our vows of practice in some ways um, around practices that we are committing to. And the vows read, they're printed in your bulletin, but they read, to cultivate a communal life centered in practices of prayer, intentional conversation, spiritual discernment, dialogical study of scripture, and creative liturgy, and to come alongside God's redemptive work in Durham as partners and participants in the embodied justice a beloved community. And I think what these vows do really is they kind of, in the past weeks, right, we've talked about proximity, neutrality, simplicity, sustainability, and sort of these vows are saying, okay, so if you take those things seriously, how are you going to practice it, right? How are you going to live into these things that we are claiming we hold dear? And the practices we're vowing to are both spiritual, contemplative, inward-facing, I think, as well as action, justice-making, what some might call more outward-facing spiritual disciplines. And I love what Henry Nouwen says kind of about both kind of inner and outward spiritual discipline. He says, The Christian life is not a life divided between times for action and times for contemplation. No. Real social action is a way of contemplation, and real contemplation is the core of social action. In the final analysis, action and contemplation, contemplation are two sides of the same reality, which makes a person an agent of change in the kingdom of God. So we need both. We have both in our minister's liturgy, but I'm curious which of these vows is innately easier for you to live into in your day-to-day life? The first one or the second one? Which is more comfortable if you want to think about it like that? The first one being prayer. Yeah, prayer, communal life. 
think that that one's printed first in the bulletin. Yeah, and the second one being coming alongside God's redemptive work in the world, embodied justice, kind of more outward-facing social action. I would say prayer comes more naturally to me because I have just cultivated a discipline over the years of really seeking God's presence and really engaging in worship, but lately it's been really hard because I have a lot of offense in my heart toward God. I really am angry at Him and um, feel betrayed by Him, so it's kind of this weird back and forth where I'll try to draw near to Him in prayer, and then all this stuff will come up from my past, like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't these people do this? Where were you? So. Thanks, Brian. So more innately prayer, but right now that is complicated. Thanks. Others? I would say I'm much better at focusing on outer things. I don't spend a lot of time on myself. And inherently, don't spend a lot of time with God and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, praying and looking inward and being really introspective in the hard places is um, not. Thanks so much. So more outward? action, showing up, seeing God in the city, in justice work. Any others? And maybe it's hard. Maybe you're a bit of both, and both are challenging. Um, this is solely practical, but yeah. since I had kids, like the idea of spending time in contemplation is not something I <laughs> Yeah, right? It's kind of hard, right? Because you kind of look at this, right? Prayer, even finding time for intentional conversation, I would imagine with little people running around, is challenging. Spiritual discernment, kind of quiet. Um, yeah, it's hard when life and all these other things are very loud and loving, but running around you. For sure, for sure. And so I think what I find interesting about these two vows, and as I was thinking about it tonight, and how we are going to talk about them to accomplish putting two on one Sunday so the weeks could work. Um, I just kept on thinking how throughout the entire gospel, really, Jesus embodies both, right? Jesus lives in to both, both action as well as contemplation, retreat, and prayer as God incarnate, as agent of change in our world. And I picked today's text because we really see that. in the Gospel of Mark. And even though Jesus was always on the move in the Gospel of Mark, right, immediately is used over and over again, there's still pause um, for contemplation and prayer. So would somebody read the text for us? As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve him. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. 
And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. So there are many striking things about this text. Really, at every turn, which is one reason I love the Gospel of Mark, there's something new, exciting, different that is happening. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, some of Peter's mother-in-law, restoring her to her community and health. I kind of think maybe Peter's mother-in-law um, had lupus. I'm not sure, but reading it, I was like, in bed, can't move, fever. Yeah, perhaps. And it's not only this one person that she heals, right? This one person that he helps. It's all kinds of people. As Jesus heals and cares and restores countless numbers, setting them free from illness and demon possession. But Mark reports of the toil it takes on Jesus that forces him to retreat early in the morning for a time of silence. Some commentators call it searching and prayer. But Jesus doesn't stay there, right? He takes that time of silence and searching and prayer and then is able to go out to embrace the mission he has been entrusted, to heal, to heal and feed and care for and set free. Ultimately, Jesus goes from spiritual practices, because even at the beginning of the chapter, he was at the synagogue. So he goes from church, right, communal gathering of prayer, intentional conversation, spiritual discernment, dialogical study of scripture, I'm sure, and creative liturgy, to healing. And then he goes back to the practice and discipline of prayer in the early morning before getting on with the business of proclaiming the kingdom of God, of bringing about beloved community. So from this text, we see how both vows of spiritual disciplines, as well as the embodiment of redemptive work, are needed to usher in the kingdom for Jesus then and for us now. And what strikes me about this text is that how in the midst of these two vows, right, in the tensions I think that we probably all hold of practice as spiritual, contemplative, inward-facing, as well as practice as action, justice-making, outward-facing, that in the tension of that, somewhere I think we come to realize, or hopefully come to realize, that by holding both, we are able to be freed from things holding us. Perhaps it's exhaustion like Jesus. I just think Jesus was really tired and probably overwhelmed, right? Being able to be freed from exhaustion, anxiety, being overwhelmed, just the weight of the world and the weight of the call to be about justice. So we're able to be freed from those things holding us captive to then be freed for many more things to come, like coming alongside the redemptive work of God. But we need both intention to live into them fully. Or to put it another way, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, our goal is to create a beloved community, and this will require a qualitative change in our souls, as well as a quantitative change in our lives.
I really, really love that. And as I kept preparing for tonight, I don't know why, but I just continually kept coming back to the first text of our series in Exodus, right? The story of Moses' birth. And for some reason, Moses' mother would not leave me. I kept thinking about the countless hours she, I think like so many um, of our moms at Emmaus Way, spent feeding her baby in the dead of night. And how that simple, though I do hear sometimes complicated practice, I really think a spiritual practice of being in silence and feeding her child and thinking to and perhaps wondering about God and where God was in all of this. Somehow that practice freed her from her fear and anxiety of what might be so that she might be freed to have the courage to release her child who one day would be about beloved community and freeing the Israelite people. And then that got me to thinking also how in the same story, in the very same text, there's a really intentional conversation that happens down by the riverside between Pharaoh's daughter and Moses' sister. And by Pharaoh's daughter being able to say, this must be one of the Hebrews' children. And then the sister saying, do you want me to find a nurse among the Hebrew women? Through that practice of intentional conversation, these women were freed and empowered to be about the redemptive work of God to fight the evil forces and powers that be. And I think that there's something to that, holding both vows of spiritual discipline and vows of action toward injustice of evil in this world. Because I think it's only by holding these two together that we are really able to be freed from fear, anxiety, and yes, even sin. Sin of ourselves, I think, systemic sin of our world, so that we might be freed from more fully living into God's redemptive work as we, alongside God, more fully bring about beloved community. Holding these vows together, though, I think takes a lot of work. It's a lot easier to pick one or to pick the other, right? It's a whole lot easier. But whenever we hold both, I think it requires us to be really, really honest. I think we must be honest when we're holding these together because we have to recognize when we're wanting to lean more heavily into one vow and not the other. And not that that's bad, but just kind of keeping ourselves in check and communally in check of why is it that we are really afraid of what might happen when we lean, lean into the redemptive work of God. I think we must be aware of both our complicity and generative desire within ourselves with these vows and how that plays into our lives. I think by being a people of both prayer, dialogue, creative liturgy, and intentional conversation, as well as a people whose eyes are open to paying attention to the redemptive work of God, means we must consistently name our discomfort in both vows, as well as be honest with ourselves and with one another in naming the invitation, the longing within us toward redemption that is found in them also. 
that nudges us to push beyond the parts of complacency, complicitness within our very beings and within this community. So I'm curious, within these vows, when thinking about them, and the invitation to live into both, but also the invitation to not be complicit in either, where do you think or where do you see you're being nudged to push beyond to live more fully into these vows? Or perhaps kind of what is a growing edge for you whenever it comes to complicity, complicity, complacency and complacency um, within these vows. Does that make sense, that question? I don't understand what it means to be complicit. Like, I think, right, just sort of not, just be like, oh, okay, that's nice, right? Like, but it's not, like, building up within you um, desire to want to change or to want to really embody them in your day-to-day life. Does that help? Kind of like, okay, that's nice. I did the right of belonging. That vow, it's a lovely one. Other people are doing it well, so I don't have to do it as well, right? Um, does that, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. But any thoughts? Where are you being nudged, do you think, within these vows? Molly, I have some disorganized thoughts. Bring them on. Yeah. Um, I think that part of my challenge, part of our challenge with with what we're talking about is some of the categories, the, the need to put things in categories and the need to have definitions where Jesus violates all that and mixes it all up. And um, I have, in, in my own practices, found that, um, well, so once upon a time, I was, I was a pastor once upon a time, a pastor for a mission in a church. And when I was being charged with that role, I said, I would rather be charged as the pastor for worship. Mm-hmm. That what, what I want to lead this church into is worship through action. Mm-hmm. And I think often about our charge to pray without ceasing. And if I were to pray without ceasing in the way that I've been taught prayer occurs, I would be of no use to anybody. <laughs> I'd be stuck in a quarter, corner and I'd be praying. And, um, but if I reinterpret prayer as a consciousness in, in relationship with God that is constant, then it becomes something different. Then the things that I am doing all become that prayer being in relationship with God. So even... Um, Many of you know here that I lead a large project at UNC and we have a large staff and part of my desire for that group is to create an environment that is like a community, to um, create an environment for honesty and support for one another. Um, And some of the strains of what I would hope for in a kingdom community, even though this isn't a kingdom I mean, it's not defined as a kingdom community, but there we are with definitions again. And so as I I think constantly about how to be a blessing to these people as their director, and to me that becomes prayer. Because I'm I'm thinking about this all the time in conversation with God about how to do things in a certain way, how to create a certain environment. 
Very much so. It becomes a part of who you are. Very, I love, Mary Oliver, that prayer is the practice of paying attention in the world. And I think that that really gets at, right, like, when we are praying and paying attention, when we are embodying this vow in our day-to-day life, it just naturally, right, then of course we are able to name and see where God's redemptive work is in the world and where we are being invited to walk alongside. Thanks for that, Jim. Thanks. So um, I've mentioned Father Gregory Boyle before, but he's really one of my favorites. Um, I think I love him because he cusses, but I also really love him for what he has done in the world um, and who he is. And his work, Tattoos on the Heart, The Power of Boundless Compassion, is um, a must-read if you have not read it. It's just remarkable. And he is the founder of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. It's the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry program in the world. And a few years ago now, he was on On Being with Krista Tippett and received a question from an audience member. I'm going to give this caveat. Hear me say that I don't think this question from the audience member, which I'm about to read, speaks to our community exactly. But I find what Father Greg says to be important for us to hear. It was at least important for me to hear when I was re-listening to this recently. So the audience member asked, I grew up in the city and was homeschooled because my parents feared for my safety. And I go to St. Vivian Church, and they don't touch the city because of their fear. How do you combat the fear with love and compassion in the city square? To which Father Greg replied, I read once that the Beatitudes, the original language was not blessed are or happy are the single-hearted or those who work for peace or struggle for justice. But the more precise translation is, you're in the right place if. And I like that better because it turns out the Beatitudes are not just a spirituality and discipline of practice, but a geography. Through these disciplines, you learn where to stand. You learn where to be about God's redemptive work. You're in the right place if you're over here. So I come from Hollywood, where we say location, location, location. And it is about location, living into the kingdom of God. You really have to go out. You know, everybody knows this. And kingdom work happens when you relocate. But it doesn't happen unless you break out And fear, I think, is just fueled by ignorance. So we have to break out of our ignorance, whatever that might be. We have to go to the place that frightens us, you know? That's what we find when we actually pray. Now, I know at Emmaus Way, we aren't afraid to touch the city, to touch those we work with, to touch those we are in relationship with, to touch those we run into wherever we are. We do lots of good transformative missional work in our daily lives, our professional and commun- professionally and communally. But I do think we all have a fear kind of stopping point within these vows, within living into the kingdom of God. 
And an invitation that I find for us in these vows is that we're really just invited to reflect on where we are located now and where we are being invited to locate. We're being offered opportunity to free ourselves from whatever is holding us, binding us, so that we might be free for more fully entering into the redemptive work of God, who invites us to live our lives with God and one another more abundantly, so that we might more honestly, right, assess sources of power and authority which shape our lives and to which we regularly make appeal. These vows invite us to ask, Do our spiritual and religious practices, both individual and corporate, derive from the incarnate presence of the love of God and Jesus pushing us toward beloved community? Or have we become comfortable in our longstanding habits and customs that it is harder and harder to recognize God's redemptive work in the world as astounding and still possible and happening? Jean Varnier, founder of the L'Arche community, says, a community becomes truly and radiantly one when all its members have a sense of urgency in their mission. There are too many people in the world who have no hope. There are too many cries which go unheard. There are too many people dying in loneliness. It is when the members of community realize that they are not there simply for themselves or their own sanctification, but to welcome the gift of God to hasten God's kingdom and to quench the thirst in parched hearts through their prayer and sacrifice, love and acts of service, that they will truly live. And this is where you're gonna break into conversation partners. I want you to talk with one another briefly about what might it look like if we started being honest with ourselves about both these vows and what fostering a beloved community could look like if we didn't let fear hold us, but rather leaned more fully into the longing for redemption in this world? What might happen if we didn't let fear of what God might say to us in prayer or in creative liturgy or in an intentional conversation How might that change the way that we are in the world and are seeing God's redemptive work we're being invited into? Just talk to your neighbor for a second about that, and then we'll share some. Okay, so um, I hate to stop these conversation partners, but I'm curious... Um, if you would be willing, what did, what did people share? How did you all respond or answer this question? And it really wasn't a great... James, James did say, yeah, it was sort of a loosey-goosey. It's, kind of lo- it's not as tight as some of your questions are, babe. I said, well, I'm headed to church, so that's as tight as it's going to get. Um, but So how did you take, not my best question, but hopefully the heart of it, um, what were some things that you all shared? One thought that I had is, I think, like you were saying before, how I think for me, it's not necessarily easier to do one or the other. Like, contemplation 
but it's definitely easier to do one than it is to do both. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time, for, in my experience, it's because one cut takes place of the other, and the fact that, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to do anything right now because I don't have all my thoughts together, so I just need to stay mm -hmm. in contemplation and figure things out before I add any sort of action. Or, action is just like, oh, this is so great, and you just go and go and go, and you're not really thinking about what you're doing, and you're not, you know, you lose a bit of the connection. Um, and so, the part of your question being, what could it look like if we could implement those better? I think the fact that they tend to sometimes replace one another, or they're so different, means that when you practice both, they're so complementary, in that your contemplation strengthens your action really significantly, profoundly, and your action deepens your contemplation because I just feel like one without the other is so, you know, you're missing even, I Thanks so much. I love that kind of ties in. Um, I love something that Casey said of, um, but he said sometimes being in community, right, and being engaged in action and justice in community, um, it helps your contemplation then not be solely kind of about yourself or your own sort of mind and thoughts, but like it's the communal component of both, and that's really what sustains um, and allows us, I think, to have the freedom to more fully live into both vows. I kind of did a bad job paraphrasing you, but that was, I really liked the heart of that. Others, what did you all share? Yeah, Emily. Um. I am very bad at both of these vows, so I asked other people in my group about their experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what like, I sort of took away was I think like we read this or we think about contemplation and action like coming together in some sort of like beautiful synergy, but like, it's actually like not fun and like, depressing and you feel like you're like walking through quicksand uphill or something like I, I mean I think if we're gonna if we try to live these vows and expect maybe someone who tries to live them can speak it in you know give a different reference but like I think if you're trying this and you're expecting to feel fulfilled and like at peace that, that's not a sign you're succeeding. Like, fulfillment yeah. and peace isn't necessarily yeah. what you're going to get if you do this. Yeah. Maybe it is someone who does it. But. Yeah, no, right? It's hard work. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, we're going to feel so great and at peace and, like, in this zen state of mind when we're living both, I don't think. I think that's completely, and I think that's too sort of why I liked the Beatitudes and, like, what Father Greg was saying, because really the Beatitudes, like being poor, mourning, locating yourself in those places is not comfortable or easy or, yeah, like making you feel good. But yet there's something really beautiful in thinking somehow some way the grace and kingdom of God shows up in those places. Yeah. And that like, it's sort of both like, yeah, I don't know. I think that's maybe the key, right? Like I can do things 
that are easy and do make me feel good, like watching almost all of season one of Designated Survivor this weekend. Nice. Like, uh, <laughs> Is it worth binging? That's the real question. Probably not. But, <laughs> but, like, the kingdom of God is out there. It's not yeah. beautiful. Like, it's easy, mm. but it's not beautiful. Mm. So, yeah. I would draw the distinction. I'm not living these out well now, but at the season of life when I felt like I was living them out in concert mm -hmm. the best, it, it wasn't easy, or but it was invigorating. Mm -hmm. It was exciting. Yeah. You, you know, you felt. I, I felt like yes, this is what I was made to do, mm -hmm. and so experiencing the presence of God might not. be easy, but it is like a good a good thing. Even to be mourning with people, even to be poor. Yeah. You know, like when you're when you're really living into the kingdom, I don't sometimes it's miserable, but mm -hmm. I think usually even in the really hard stuff, when you're hitting this stride of like, yes, mm -hmm. um, then it is a good place to be. Very much so. Thanks, Elizabeth. Did you have your hand up, Jim? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm listening to this conversation as um, people of the 1%. Very much so. And reading the scripture as, well, you know, people to the 100%, but mm -hmm. so let's focus on the majority. And, and the majority who are going to be hearing this are poor. Um, and yet they're called to the same charge. Right? I mean, that's part of the kingdom. Of, and the, the way that poor people live out God's care is, is with the person they're sharing a room with. Or um, you know, the grandmother that they have to help who can't see anymore. I mean, they're very real, tangible things that people are doing with that person right there that they can touch that they can't get away from that's always in their space. And I, th I think that applies to us as well. It's not that we need to participate in a planned, organizational, save the world project. Right? There, there are these very tangible, very plain things that we are to do that shows God's love and grace. Thanks so much, Jim. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's something, right, profound about those whom you find yourself next to, right, and in relationship with and how their experience and understanding you're living into this, into the kingdom so shapes your own. And um, I was thinking as I was preparing and like I love our text team and kind of our text team conversations and um, anyone's welcome 8 a.m. on Tuesday mornings, but um, it's a real fun time. But um but something that's been, and just sort of in being, like totally putting Ben on the spot. But I think that it has been so encouraging and invigorating for me to see a fellow friend become so moved by his work and the kingdom and what it means for your faith and how prayer and intentional conversation shape action and vice versa where it's convicted me, right? And so it's sort of asking me, how am I in Durham? How are we, how am I as pastor of Emmaus Way? How am I as citizen of Durham? How am 
I being moved by living in the tension of these two vows, right? And it's, um, I love Walter Brigham. He says, we are called to be odd to heaven, but rooted in earth. And that is where we live. And I think that that in some ways encapsulates these two vows. That we are always being called to be odd to heaven, but rooted in earth and God's redemption in this world and not be afraid to join it. And so I'm thankful that we get to do that in community and with one another. And I'm thankful that we get to have intentional conversation about it um, and really nudge one another that we might live into both and that we can, not only that we might, but that we can and that we should whatever that looks like for us. I'm going to get off the stool now. Um, thanks so much. Yeah, really fast. I don't know yours, and I don't know if this isn't like super formative, but based on what Emily was portraying, I don't know where this came from, um, but I, I have always grown up thinking, like, if I do it right, then the act like, then it'll come out right. So if I'm, the outcome isn't right, then like, I'm doing something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. and absolution. I tune my new strings. Um, I did want to say one thing about these songs. Uh, Sandra McCracken said about the song that that she wrote it kind of during her a time where God felt really distant and it was powerful to write in such strong terms. So, um, you know, if that's where you're at, uh, maybe there's strength in kind of singing it as well once we get there. But we'll do another one first.
Watch and pray 
So thanks again to Jeff, Casey, and Skylar. I'm grateful always when a set like set list like this comes together. I feel like this is this is why we do what we do. I know this week listening to these songs has been prayer for me. Um, and I hope you felt some of that uh, yeah, in their in their performance and our participation in that tonight. Freed from and freed for. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I feel the need to be freed from, and I think, based on our conversation tonight, I think we share a lot of those things. To be what I should, the oughtness, exhaustion, the weight of the world, and how much that sits on what we ought to be doing. Our habits, our customs, all the things that bear down on what we ought to be. The busyness of that, like how, how perpetual it feels, to live in that space of oughtness, the trying itself sometimes feels like what I need to be freed from, and the I, I've been trying. All too often, I'm the one trying. And you look around and realize, oh, right, we, 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 there's a lot of us here. So there's a lot to be freed from. There's a lot to be freed for. Um, this idea of the Beatitudes is geography, that we could be freed to relocate ourselves among the poor, meek, mourning, persecuted, to seek God in those places. Like that's, that, 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 there's a heck of a lot about that that seems to solve what we're, or certainly speak very differently to what we're freed from. And then how do we get from there to here, right? We've got confession, absolution. What is the space between those things? And I think that we narrate that space all the time as our open table. I think it's, it's never felt more true to me than it does tonight. The space between I've been trying and I cannot see the way from here, but on we go. <laughs> it is not yet, but it will be. Um, that has to lead through something transformational, right? And I don't think that that move can be a single time move. So the fact that we do this weekly, that, that we're moving through trying and toward relocating ourselves, toward a different understanding of what's possible, that we have to do that again and again, and that we have to do that communally, that we do that holding on to each other, that we do that not feeling the weight of it, certainly, and going back through what we need to be feared from on a perpetual basis as we're looking our way toward what we're freed for together, but that, as we said a number of weeks ago, and I, this, this sticks in my mind, as a playful, collective reformation. There's some tearing apart to reform yourself, but that it, it can be playful, and it can be beautiful, and it can be surprising. And, and doing it together and holding on to each other gives us a very different valence to think about how we, we free ourselves from and free ourselves for. So that's the table I invite you to tonight. Um, thinking about where do we need to be freed from as a community? What, what could we be freed for? And who is walking that with us? And who will be here with us as we continue to walk that as a community week after week? Uh, at Mayus Way, if you're, if you're new to us, we celebrate an open table. All are equally and infinitely welcome. Um, we pour wine and juice for each other. Clinton reminded me we don't always say which pitcher is which. So the brown ones are the wine ones. <laughs> And the green ones are the juice ones. And there's bread and gluten-free stuff as well. And we break bread and we pour wine and juice for each other, saying the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, the love of God 
for you, the light of God for you. And we do that imagining and declaring a very different thing that can be. And we declare our, our collective reformation together as the thing we're about together. So that's the table I invite you to. Please come. <laughs>